Thanks for reading. Morning, everyone. It would help if you keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2. It is a very familiar passage. Uh, Someone at uh, youth group last week made the observation that secular Christian songs only work on you if you are having, at a time, a Merry Christmas. If you're having a good time during this Christmas period, then you can relate to the secular Christmas songs, right? Because it's just talking about, you know, uh, having a Merry Christmas, jingle bells, you know, being with family. And it's just, you have to be happy yourself. Then those Christmas songs make sense. But the traditional carols, the ones that speak about the truth of what God has done the first Christmas, whether you're having a Merry Christmas or not, doesn't matter. Those songs are still true. They still can ring true in your heart. And so uh, we come today to this uh, very familiar passage. You know, the, the census is drawn up. The emperor, the king at that time, he wants to show how powerful he is by counting the number of people in his empire. But the true king, God, is going to show how powerful he is by sending his son, to be born uh, to a peasant girl and placed in a manger. Now, this uh, great announcement is made to the shepherds and they, they come and they see. Now, you must realize when they come, they don't find Mary and Joseph and Jesus in a stable. Okay, that is something that uh, somehow happened in tradition, but it's not what the Bible teaches. Okay, there was no hard-hearted innkeeper that turned the couple away. Okay, I was told about this uh, nativity play where one of the boys who was uh, very upset that he didn't get to play the lead role as Joseph, but was asked to play the innkeeper, he had his revenge during the play. Because when Mary and Joseph came, he said, oh, there is plenty of room, come into the inn. And then, you know, the whole play got disrupted. Okay, but, but there's no such thing, you see, there's no such thing as uh, the inn because there were no such things as inns in the first century. So what actually happened is that when Mary and Joseph went back to Bethlehem, there was no more room in the guest room. Okay, and so they had to stay in the family area, the, the, the living room, the lounge area. And in those times, because the people really cared for animals, they had space inside the living room to keep the animals, to keep the animals warm, and with the animals inside, it will help to keep them warm as well. And so when you have animals in the living room, you need to keep them quiet, and that's why you have the the manger, the feeding trough over there. So uh, Mary and Joseph, they were not in the guest room, but they were in the living room, and because they were in the living room, when Jesus was born, Mary placed him in uh, the feeding trough. And the angels come and they see all this. And what Luke wants us to know, uh, you can see the first point there, is that his account is reliable. Okay, This is a reliable account of what really happened. Now just to remind you, Luke begins his book by telling us, all the way back in chapter 1, that he has all this information because of eyewitnesses. Okay, he has actually gone and interviewed eyewitnesses 
he's collected the information and he's placed all this together. Okay, so this is not just uh, something he made up. He most likely interviewed Mary. He most likely interviewed some of the shepherds that we are reading about here. So he is giving a reliable account. And you see, when the angels come and when they talk to the shepherds, the angel doesn't just expect them, okay, this is my announcement, take it or leave it. Okay, look at verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the angel doesn't just go, take it or leave it. No, go and see for yourself. There will be a sign to prove that what I'm saying is true. And so the angels uh, say this to the shepherds and the shepherds go. And indeed, they see it as the angel has said it. And so verse 15 to 16, right at the end. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So the shepherds were convinced because they not only heard, they also saw and they spread it. So the angels' words prove reliable. And Luke in telling us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now he makes that point several times. He's born in the city of David. He's born in Bethlehem. He's also trying to say something. That what the Old Testament prophet Michael wrote, 500 years before this, also proved reliable. Now you don't have to turn to it, but in Michael chapter 5, verse 2, he writes, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So you see, 500 years before the birth of Jesus, Michael writes that it will be in Bethlehem that the Savior, the Lord, will come. And Michael's words prove true. The Old Testament prophecy is reliable. Now, but uh, some people may say, okay, okay, you know, it's a reliable account. But do you really expect me to believe in angels? I mean, angels, unicorns, fairies, leprechauns, I mean, they're all the same thing. All these are just fictional, mythical creatures, aren't they? And I remember a conversation I was having with uh, an Indian professor at NTU. He was just sitting down, I, I got talking to him. And we got talking about Christianity. And he was very happy to talk about religion. And so that when some of his uh, colleagues came by, he said, Hey, come, 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 come. We're having a very interesting conversation. And so, you know, one of his friends unwittingly sat down. But when he heard what we were talking about, he got up in a half and he said, I won't waste my time talking about a book that is just full of fairy tales. And he was referring to the Bible. You see, it is, it is possible to just reject it outright. The whole, the Bible is filled with fairy tales, angels don't exist, you know, the supernatural cannot happen. That is, uh, a, a simple solution. It would be a quick mental solution to just outrightly reject all of these things. 
But if a person rejects something before they even consider if it's possible, then they lose the ability to be objective. See, that person will never be able to work out whether it's real or not. Now that person who got up and said, the Bible is just full of fairy tales, I can almost guarantee you that he hasn't really read much of the Bible. You see, it's very easy to just assume the ostrich position. right? To just be closed to anything that we do not like. But if that's the case, then you'll never be able to work out whether it's real or not. You have to come to it with your mind open to be as objective as possible. And this thing could happen. I mean, it, the supernatural could happen. Angels could exist. I mean, just think about it. There's 50% chance that God exists. Right? I mean, okay, either, I mean, this universe that exists, either there was a supreme intelligent being, there's a God that created this universe that we see, we know exists, or it all came about randomly. I mean, so you got, you got basically two choices. Like God, or no God, right? Random. So, I mean, 50%. I mean, some will say, no, 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 I only give 0.1% chance to God. Okay, no, but that, that, that doesn't work. Okay, 50% chance is already, is, is fair. So if 50% chance that God exists, then if God exists, then there's no problem for the supernatural to happen. There's no problem for angels to exist. You have to come to this with your mind open so that you can be objective enough to consider the evidence. Then, as you consider the evidence carefully, then you can close in and grab onto something that is real, that's tangible. You see, the problem is, uh, as one author has pointed out, the main factor why people reject the existence of God is because they don't want someone else telling them what to do with their lives. See, the main factor, I mean, not because of the overriding evidence of signs or, you know, whatever, the over, the main factor why people reject the existence of God is that they just don't like someone else telling them what to do with their lives. But that's coming to it with the mind closed. No, you've got to be objective. That is a bad reason for rejecting and not even objectively considering. Because you see, if, if God exists and if God as this story has told us, has broken in. He's come into our world and he has a great message, a great news. I mean, what do you gain by just rejecting it outright without even considering the evidence? If God has broken in and come with great news, what do you gain by rejecting it outright? So let's think about the great news that we are told here in this passage. Uh, let's focus in on what the angel says. Uh, verse 10 and 11. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior 
has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, when the angel appears to the shepherds, the original text actually reads that they had great fear. And then the angel says, you will have great joy. So great fear that will turn to great joy. Now, how does great fear become great joy? It's because the angel comes with a message of great news. Now, I know we often call it good news, but a better way of uh, saying it, it's not just good news, but it is great news. It is momentous news. And the momentous news is that a Savior has been born. See, the angel doesn't just say, a Savior has been born to Mary. You know, when uh, some of the mothers give birth here, you know, Andrew Ong will inform all of us, ah, okay, a daughter has been born to, you know, so-and-so. A son has been born to so-and-so. But the angel doesn't say, a Savior has been born to Mary. He says, a Savior has been born to you. To you, a Savior has been born. Now, I want you to notice that Luke is being uh, very deliberate here. And you see in verse 7, when he describes what Mary does, okay? Verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. Okay, wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger. Now, those same words are used again all the way at the end of the gospel in chapter 23 and verse 53. Right, similar, similar words being used. And this time it is Joseph, uh, not his father, but Joseph of Arimathea. In verse 53, Then Joseph took it down, wrapped the body of Jesus in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock. See, Luke is being very deliberate. How is this child going to be our saviour? Well, this child that was when he was born in humility, wrapped in cloths, placed in a manger. He will, many years later, die, be wrapped in cloth and placed in a tomb. There is a direct connection being made between the humility of his birth and his eventual death and burial. You see, this child was born so that he would die. This child was born a Savior has been born to you so that this Savior will die for you. Savior has been born to you because this Savior will die for you. Now, this is something that uh, many people cannot understand. And for them, it is like this scenario. Okay, This scenario where a boy and girl holding hands, walking down the street, and then, and then the boy, in a flush of emotion and love for the girl, says, You know, you know I really love you, right? You know I will do anything for you. I, I, I love you so much. And then to prove his love, he promptly jumps in front of the bus and dies. And you look at that and you go, What's the sense of that? It's meaningless. What is the guy doing? And that is exactly how many people view 
the death of Jesus. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll say, I'm, 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 I'm sorry that he died. I mean, it's, 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 it's bad that, you know, someone, good teacher, someone who, who, who cared so much for people, I'm sorry that he died such a horrible death, but end of the day, I don't really see the big deal. End of the day, I don't really care that much. Of course, consider the different scenario that the girl is walking to meet the boyfriend and like most girls nowadays, she's working on a handphone and texting and steps onto the road. And because she's texting, she does not see the bus coming at her. But the boyfriend does. And he rushes in, pushes her to safety onto the pavement and he gets hit by the bus. And, and in his dying breath, the, the, the girl cradles him in, in, in her arms and he says, you stupid fool, why did you do that? And then with his dying breath, he goes, because I love you. You know, and then, and then oh, everyone can relate. Everyone will be crying and, and, oh, he really loved her. See, so the thing that we need to understand is that all of us, all of us, you and I, we are not safe and sound on the pavement. Because of our sin, because of our rejection of God, because of our rebellion against the one who made us, the one to whom we are accountable. There is a bus coming at us. The righteous judgment of God, His wrath at our sin, at our rebellion, that is coming at us. We are in need of a saviour. I mean, don't you know? I mean, even by your own standards, you don't match up. So how much more when we compare against God's perfect standards? We have sinned. We have rejected Him. I mean, and this, I'm ashamed to tell you this, but just a few nights ago, I was playing card game with um, you know, the kids and with Maria. And it's the first time that Maria was playing that game. I played it many times with the kids. Sometimes I win, sometimes Elliot wins. And then as the game was reaching its end, I saw that Maria was going to win. And then right at the end, not only did she, you know, was going to win at the end, but right at the end, she did this move that destroyed this thing that I was building up, okay? Okay, for those of you who know, it's Citadels, and it was the museum card, and I was putting, you know, cards underneath. I've been collecting for the whole game. I, but I looked at it, I, she was going to win. But she, she dealt me such a humiliating move that I actually got really upset. Okay, I, I couldn't talk to her the rest of the night. I was, I was, I was, she was like, what, what's wrong? And I said, I'm a sore loser, lah. And then, and then I, I mean, I was now preparing for 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 sermon today, and I'm I'm like, oh man, I, I mean, and that, and that is not even the worst of it. I mean, I have done things that no one else knows. Okay, because I've rejected 
God. I've rebelled against His will in my life. I have not had faith in Him. We are not safe and sound on the pavement. There is a bus coming at us. We need a Savior. That's why it is such great news. The angel announces that a Savior has been born to you, one who will die for you. And this Savior, the reason why He can do this, you see, the angel says He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Now, there's no time to go into the details, but the word Savior and the word Lord in other places in Luke is also applied to God. Okay, so so God has not just sent an agent. God has not just sent an angel. God Himself has come. God the Son has come in Jesus Christ. It is He who will die for us and be our Savior. See, no, no other religion makes this claim that God Himself has come in the flesh to be with us, to die for us. No other religion even comes close to saying this. And so when Christianity reached the Aztecs, they were shocked. They were shocked at what these missionaries were telling them because, because all their lives, they sacrificed people in order to please God. But now, these missionaries were coming with a message that God has sacrificed Himself so that He can have them. God has sacrificed Himself so that He can have you, so that He can save you, so that He can have you. So I want to say that if you are here this morning and you know that you are not a Christian, I mean, no matter how many times you've come to church, no matter what you may call yourself, but you know for your for a fact deep in your heart that this is not something that you have settled on. Can I just urge you, press in. Don't come at it with your mind like this. But ask God to help you. Like come, come with, come with an open mind to be objective, not just outrightly reject before you even consider properly, carefully, deliberately. Because a savior has been born to you. It can be for you. You may feel that you are beyond forgiveness. You may feel that, you know, you're not worthy of this sort of love. That you've already made too many mistakes. Well, that's not what the Bible is saying. That's not what the angel is declaring. No, there's great news that a Savior has been born to you. Will you press in? Will you come and consider? And maybe you will find this great news to be true for yourself. And then you can close in and hold on to that great news that I guarantee you is life-changing life-changing. Now this uh, great news is uh, not just something that was true, that was great in the first Christmas. Now this is, this is great news that looks ahead. Okay, so that's the third point. It looks ahead. Now I have been deliberately vague for the third point because uh, this is such a common passage, right? You know, you'll come, oh, it's a shepherd angel story again and you think you know it. So that's why the third point I made it deliberately vague. See, nothing about. So, uh, focus in on verse 14 
and uh, the whole company of angels come. Uh, maybe they're shouting, maybe they're singing, you know, you don't really know. But what they do say in verse 14 is, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. Now, a lot of Christmas cards will tell you that what the angels declare is, Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. Okay? I mean, is this, does this sound familiar? I mean, maybe, maybe there's a carol or what to be. Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. And then, you know, the closing credits come and whatever, whatever. Again, everyone feels a warm feeling. Okay, but that's not actually what the text is. Huh? Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. Seems to be saying, okay, no more wars. I mean, the video that we saw about Syria, I mean, that, that shouldn't be happening. You know, goodwill to all men. You know, come as you are, whoever you are. But that's not exactly what the text says. The text says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. On earth, on this planet, on earth, peace. Ah, on this planet, there will be peace. Peace to who? Peace to those on whom God's favor rests. On this earth, not there will be peace, no wars, no fighting, no, but on this earth, some men, some women, some boys, some girls will find peace. And who are they? They are the ones on whom God's favor rests. Now, peace is talking about a reconciled relationship with God, where once there was enmity, because of our rejection of Him, now there is peace, now there's reconciliation. God has us back. He's talking about that peace. And uh, when the angels say, to those on whom His favor rests, well, that is explained uh, most clearly in our first scripture reading. And uh, if I can get you to turn to Romans chapter 8. That was the passage we read responsively. Romans chapter 8 and uh, verse 30. Now, I did say it explains it most clearly, right? Okay, it comes with a caveat. Huh? Okay, anyway, anyway, verse 30 says, And those God predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. There's so many big words in this verse. And the first one already throws us off, right? Predestined. Those of you who were at church camp, you will know that our speaker, Joshua Ng, spent two-thirds of the sermon explaining about predestination. He had a Q&A session after that that lasted for, I don't know, half an hour. And then, okay, only after that, uh, then, okay, then, you know, people began to understand it more. So definitely, in my time remaining, I'm not going to be able to explain it to you. I mean, uh, Ronald, Ronald, uh, put a comment in someone's uh, Facebook wall, right, that his, his highlight of the church camp, he put it on Facebook, so I guess it's for sharing, right, yeah. His highlight for the camp is that, um, I spent an hour talking to him, explaining to him and clarifying what predestination was all about. Okay, so, so, Half a sermon, 30 minutes of Q&A, and one hour, one-to-one time, okay? And then, you know, then Ronald says, ah, now I understand it. 
Okay, so I'm not going to be able to do it here right now. But you see, what the angels say is a truth that is spelled out again and again in the rest of the New Testament. That God has chosen some. There are those on whom His favor does rest. And those on whom His favor rests, in their lifetime, they will be called, they will be justified, and they will be glorified. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 tells us, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is another way of talking about the peace that now exists on those on whom God's favor rests. There is now no condemnation in spite of all that you have done against this God. There is now no condemnation. There is now this peace. But what I want to get us to focus in on is what this peace achieves. It looks ahead to something. And we see in verse 29, 29, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There is something that those who now enjoy the peace of God can look forward to. It's not just a here and now. We can look forward to one day being conformed to the very image of God's Son. Now let me try and get at it by asking you this question. When a Christian grows in maturity, does it mean that he will sin less? What do you think? Okay, okay. So one of, one of the oldest Christians in the room saying, you know, I saw him doing this. Thank you for your response. Yeah, no, it doesn't mean that. I mean, we may sin in different ways, but it may not necessarily mean that we sin less. It's hard to measure, right? I mean, the, the, in our youthful days, we may do sins that are more blatantly obvious. In our older days, we may do, a lot of the sins that we do is kept hidden in the heart. Pride, you know, greed. We may not actually sin less. But for the person who is actually growing in maturity, he will actually be more aware more aware of his sin, how that thought, that word, not only did it cause grief to the people he cared about, but you know, it's causing grief to, to the father who has given his son for him. See, it's not being about sinning less, but being more aware. And so as a, as a Christian grows in maturity, something that should happen is that he, he longs, he really yearns for for what God promises will happen to happen. That the day will come when we will be conformed to the image of His Son, where there will be no more sin, when it will be no longer possible for us to sin. This day is coming. We can look ahead to that day. See, this peace that God has established, it looks ahead, looks ahead to that day when all of God's purposes will be finally fulfilled. But you see, this piece also has something to say about the here and now. And in verse 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. See, all things working for good. Now, this good 
is not the good that we want. The good here is God's purpose in changing us and conforming us to the image of His Son. See, all things working towards that ultimate good. Now when we, I mean, it's a familiar verse, but we are happy with this verse when the all things refer to good things. Yeah, I've just had a, a, a conference with a hundred over university students and it was a good conference. I mean, it was tiring, you know, I stayed up late, I had to wake up early to prepare this and that, but, but it was a good conference. I can see how it worked in my life, how it worked in, in, you know, in the student's life. I can agree with this verse when the good things are happy things, pleasant things. But when, what about when it's painful? What about when it's a trial that, that you, 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 you cannot see the, the end of? What if it's great suffering? What if it's what our brothers and sisters in Syria are going through? What, are, what if it's what our brothers and sisters in many parts of the world are going through? Because of the peace, because of the child that was born that first Christmas, this verse is still true, even in suffering. See, uh, an author called Dorothy Sayers has written, the incarnation, the coming of God himself in Jesus Christ. And remember, we are the only religion that even comes close to saying anything like this. Because God has come in the flesh, it means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall into suffering and to let us be subject to sorrows and death. For whatever reason, God nonetheless, He had the honesty and courage to take His own medicine. Because He Himself has gone through the whole of human experience from the irritations of family life, the cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair and death. He was born in poverty and he suffered infinite pain for us and he thought it well worth his time. You see, this Savior who came the Savior who is coming back, coming back so that we will be changed into His likeness forevermore. The Savior who brought peace, He is at work now. He is at work now. And if you can trust that He is at work now, then you can be patient. You, you can go through the trial, you can go through the bad times, you can go through the suffering with patience, with hope. Because there is this purpose that He will accomplish at the end. He is at work now for our good. So maybe this year you're not having a particularly Merry Christmas. It doesn't matter. Press on and hold on that He is at work now and His purposes will be accomplished in your life as you trust in the Lord Jesus. May God help us. Amen.